with these words that uh, we've been singing. It's great to be with you again tonight. I've enjoyed so much this week and uh, seeing all of you on Wednesday evening. Uh, I like Wednesday evenings. Uh, most of the time it's just us folks from here usually who are here on Wednesday night. And it's a joy to just relax and study the Bible and think about things that are spiritual in the middle of the week. It gets us ready to go for the weekend, doesn't it? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you like to read? I like to read a lot and have to do that a lot to be able to have something to say to people when I get up and talk to them. And I do every week at home. I have said already uh, to Harold that I've been at the church at Citrus Park since 1980. And uh, you have to have something new to say to them as you go along every now and then something new anyway when you've been there 40 years plus. And I've been married to my wife 57 years and I want to have something to help her to grow spiritually as I go along. And so I work hard to uh, get information. So I like to read. I like to read biographies. Do you like biographies? There are some wonderful ones. Critics say the all-time classic biography is The Life of Samuel Johnson by James Boswell. And there are some good ones uh, to read out now if you want something to read. Alexander Hamilton is out there by Ron Chernow. And uh, John Adams is out there by David McCullough. Churchill, of course, every few years there's a new biography of Churchill. One by Martin Gilbert is, I guess, the standard on Churchill. There's one uh, my family gave me by on Steve Jobs. I read a, about a third of it. And put that one down. He's not my favorite character, so I didn't finish that one. It's by Walter Isaacson. Written well. I'm just not a fan of Steve Jobs that much, I guess. I like to read uh, restoration biographies. Restoration, by that we mean the restoration of New Testament Christianity began, oh, around 1800 in our country. And uh, the memoirs of Alexander Campbell, for example, by Robert Richardson, great book. W.W. Odie, book by Cecil Willis. You recognizing these, Harold, I'm sure. Homer Haley's Personal Journey of Faith by Ed Harrell. You all have had Ed Harrell here, have you? Yeah. Well, keep that thought in mind. Biographies. 
what they say, what they do for us. And I want to turn your uh, attention to an observation I would like for you to take with you tonight that might help your Bible study. We think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as the biblical inspired biographies of Jesus. And they are. But there is a marvelous biography of Jesus written to introduce him 700 years before he was born. It's interlaced among the writings of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the most amazing pieces of literature of all time. And I say that really without qualification. It's sometimes called a miniature Bible because it has 66 chapters and there are 66 books of the Bible. And I know, of course, that the Holy Spirit didn't divide the Bible into chapters and verses. We all get that, don't we? But nonetheless, God's providence might have been in it in some way. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah deal with the immediate message of Isaiah's day to God's people. In the days it tells us of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. Prophesying God's judgment if they would not repent of their immorality and their idolatry, and put their trust in the Lord. Isaiah delivered God's message, and it is a powerful message. He said in chapter 5, beginning at verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil, who put darkness for light, and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, and prudent in their own sight. And Isaiah really condemned the people of Judah for their sins. Four categories of sin you want to remember. Idolatry. Idolatry, as we've already said, I think, was the number one sin that sent God's people into captivity. And then there was immorality among the people. All kinds of immorality. Some of it associated with their idol worship. And then there was injustice. 
all the way from the top to the bottom, from the nation's leaders, from their religious leaders, unjust in how they dealt with, in prejudicial ways, the people of their land. And, of course, there was indifference to God. Those categories of sins you think about when you study the Old Testament prophets, and they kind of help you to watch for those as you go. And Isaiah points them out very clearly as he goes along. That's the first 39 chapters. The last 27 chapters, how many in the Old Testament books? 39. How many in the New? 27. There's a clear break in the text in Isaiah at at the end of chapter 39. And these 27 last chapters say really from this prophet that although they would inevitably suffer captivity for all of these sins, there is hope. And this is why you love Isaiah. Because Isaiah could be like preachers need to be today. We need to be hard on sin. And you need to insist that your preachers preach sin from the devil. And call it out. Step on our toes when we need it. but always have that love for God and love for the brethren and love for God's hope that He gives us out there ahead of us. God would send His Messiah, Isaiah said. And the Messiah would be a sovereign king and a savior of the souls of men. And there would be deliverance from the captivities and there would be blessing to all the people. I said he includes in all of that a biography of the one who would bring that blessing to mankind. And as I said a while ago, He prophesied 700 years before Jesus was even born. This makes the book of Isaiah among the greatest evidences of divine revelation and inspiration in all of God's Word. It is said that a good biography brings to life the subject that is under consideration, the person that we're writing about. And Isaiah does that for us as he weaves it into his narrative, chapter after chapter, 
not every chapter, obviously, until the very end of the book. And we're not going to have time, of course, tonight to read 66 chapters of Isaiah, but I thought I might just give you some idea and let you, when you have time, read Isaiah and look for some of these great messages concerning the coming Messiah. And we'll point to two or three or four or five of them right quickly tonight. Let me suggest to you just a sampling, so we'll not cover everything. But first, in a good biography, if you've read some of those I mentioned or some of the others that you like, the author needs to set the stage. And he can do that by talking about the importance of this character that he's writing about. If we're going to write about Hamilton, Hamilton's the big thing these days in New York on the stage in Manhattan. If you're reading about Hamilton, you want to know why he's important when you get started. It reaches back into the culture a little bit. A a good biography would reach back into the culture and set the stage for affirming the importance of the person being written about. It's worth it to read this, the author will want to say. And it gives us some initial insight into what his significance is going to be. And Isaiah does that. Read chapter 1. You you have your Bibles? I didn't ask you. Where's your Bible? Hold your Bible up. Let me see your Bible. Good. Everybody's got one. Now, I know for a fact a few of you cheat and get it out of the pew in front of you, but uh, bring your Bible. Verse 18, chapter 1. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Now, here's the importance. Though your sins are like scarlet, They shall be as white as snow. Although they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Why is the subject? The subject's going to be the Messiah the coming one who would deliver man spiritually from sin. And why is Jesus so important? Well, he will say later on, the Lord came to seek and to save those that are lost. And he came to establish a kingdom in which God would rule the hearts of men in fulfillment of his promises to Abraham, 
The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus said. That's a spiritual kingdom. Now, go to chapter 2, verse 1, and pick up these messages. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways and shall walk in His paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall bear their swords, beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. What's Isaiah doing? He's setting the stage. For the Messiah to come, your sins... There is crimson, but they shall be as white as snow. And out of Jerusalem shall go forth the law, and the kingdom will be established in the mountains, he said. He's setting the stage, isn't he, for this one that he would bring into the world, that God would bring into the world. Okay. You getting the idea so far? Let me get on past. I, I didn't give you the passages on the screen. You listened good, though, right? All right. Now, the next thing that the uh, writer's going to do is bring his subject into the picture. And usually you do that with a background of the birth of that person and his parentage. Matthew and Luke over in the New Testament each provide a genealogy of earthly heritage. But Matthew reaches back in doing that, after naming these people in, Jew in Jesus' line, he reaches back to Isaiah to explain the conception of Jesus. Who was Jesus' real father? And Isaiah is going to tell us about that. Technically, and factually, it was Jesus' conception, not his actual birth, that was miraculous. Now, he had to be born. But what was miraculous about it was his conception. He was born naturally from Mary, wasn't he? His birth his actual birth. We speak of his virgin birth 
In reality, we think of his conception that gave him entrance into the world. That's another point you might think about when you're thinking about what's wrong with abortion. It was Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit, and he was who he was from conception. Interesting. But here's what Isaiah says. Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's God with us. Matthew reads this way later. She will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. That's Isaiah. Saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So you see, Isaiah gave us the particulars that were the most important about the coming of Jesus into the world in his biography of Jesus. When he's telling us about this Messiah who will come, he explains that. Now go over to Isaiah chapter 9 for a minute. And beginning at verse 6, here is how Isaiah puts it. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, he'll be a king, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. So now, he's not only conceived in a virgin. Notice notice how... Isaiah puts it, unto us a child is born. A child is born. He was human, wasn't he? Isn't that what we said last night? He he came into the world and took on flesh and he took on humanity. A child is born, naturally, as a human. And then he says, a son is given. That's divine. That's God doing that. Divinity 
in the person conceived in the virgin. That's what Isaiah is saying. Unto us a child is born, he's human. Unto us a son is given, he's divine. He came from God. Isn't that beautiful? How he wove that into his message. Having already said the virgin would conceive and that would be God with us, now he says the Son of God is given to us by God. Turn another couple of verses, chapters, to chapter 11 and verse 1. And Isaiah says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel. The Spirit of counsel. That would have to do with Jesus' teaching. And might. That would have to do with his miracles. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So here's this one coming into the world. And Isaiah sets the stage for him. He would be conceived in a virgin. He would be given by God, but he would be human, born of this virgin. And he would come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Who is Jesse? Jesse was the daddy of David. Wasn't he? And so, this one who would come would have the legitimate right to all those things he had said about him in chapter 7, being wonderful counselor, the mighty God, and he would take the kingdom of the seed of David and rule it from that time forward. You see how that works? Beautiful, isn't it? And Isaiah tells the Israelites so much that they should have been able to recognize Christ when he came. Well, let's do one more right quick. I'll pass over these passages that we've already read. When you write a biography, you have to write about the associate of the person that you're writing about. You write about who else was around them. If you're talking about a president of the United States, you will talk about his advisors maybe or his the secretaries of his uh, administration. Or if you're talking about a businessman, you might talk about others that had an influence on his life or were important for you to know about him and about his associations. You're not alone, folks, in this journey of life. 
are we? So our biographer here, Isaiah, doesn't forget to set the stage further for the work of this great Messiah about whom he writes by including other important people in his life. And Isaiah does that with one who is important from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Actually, the Gospels will tell us a little bit about his birth. But Isaiah is going to tell us about John the Baptist and his role in Jesus' lifetime. So let's turn to chapter 40 for a minute. And at verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What does he say? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now there's something interesting about that that you all ought to know if you haven't thought of it. Mark, in his gospel narrative, quotes from this passage, this very passage, and he combines it with one by the prophet Malachi, right at the end of the Old Testament. The one at the, in Malachi says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. What I want you to notice is the double significance here of this idea of preparing the way. Notice, he will prepare the way before me. John's role in Jesus' life was to prepare the way. But how would he do that? He did that by calling on the people to prepare the way of the Lord in their heart. So what would this one crying in the wilderness be saying? He said, prepare ye the way of the Lord. You see, it's not just John. The way that John prepared for the Lord was to call on the people to prepare their hearts to receive Jesus when He preached to them like He did on the Sermon on the Mount or when He called upon them to know the Lord or when He said that they would need to be baptized to enter into His kingdom. We need to have our hearts prepared for Him. So John sets the stage by calling on John the Baptist. 
to tell of the associates of Christ in the gospel. Well, then the gospel is going to talk about the biography that we're reading, whatever it is. The biography is going to talk about, okay, what did the person do? And we don't have time to go into all these passages, but I'll read one for you, if I may, from Isaiah chapter 61. Well, there's one in 42. I'll look at that one with you. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastline shall wait for his law. Jesus brought universal salvation to mankind. And then in this passage in Isaiah 61, this is the passage at the Nazareth synagogue when Jesus preached his first sermon that is recorded in the Bible. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. What's he doing? Well, he's telling what Jesus would come and do. And he does all of those things. And these gospel narratives that we read, these gospel biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, fill in the details of what Isaiah had already said years before that Jesus would come and do. Do you see that as you go? Well, you got the picture? You see what I'm saying tonight? Can't leave it without going to 53, can we? Isaiah 53. Biographies, if they're written before the subject dies, have to end, and sometimes an addendum is put on a biography, in a later publication, if the author of the biography is still living. But sometimes the subject 
dies or is assassinated before the biography is written. Like Lincoln, for example, David Herbert Donald's bestseller, just Lincoln, comes toward its end explaining the passing. Isaiah tells us about the passing of his subject who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground he has no form or comeliness and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him you should know that Isaiah is the most literary of the prophets as far as the elements of style and the language, the articulation of it, the verbs and nouns and all that are used, adjectives and adverbs that are used to explain what he has to say. Isn't that beautiful? He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. See, Isaiah writes this like it's already happened. I suppose the divine Holy Spirit who is inspiring Isaiah to say these things had it in his mind it had happened because God said it. If God says it, it's as good as happening. And he writes kind of in the past tense, doesn't he, about Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Isn't that beautiful? And it tells about the Lord. He was poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That tells it all. And that's what we read when we come around the table about at least once a month on Sunday morning at Citrus Park where I preach, somebody refers to Isaiah 53. Often when a biography is written, the meaning of one's life is recorded again. The legacy, we call it, of that person. What is the legacy? So I'll take you back to the 
last chapters of Isaiah, chapter 61. Let's read from there just a moment. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. What's Jesus' legacy going to be? He's going to comfort all those that mourn. He's going to preach good tidings. He's going to heal the brokenhearted. He's going to console those who mourn in Zion, and they will praise him. Isaiah 62, beginning at verse 2, the Gentiles, shall see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Is our subject important? Oh my. Most important character of earth history is this Jesus Christ. And who told us about it first? In detail, Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ came and told us all these wonderful things about him and how meaningful he would be. And when he came, his apostles and prophets who wrote the New Testament refer so often back to these messianic prophecies that explain the nature of the one who came to save us. Listen, we must take these messages as great evidence of the inspiration, the revelation of the Bible. How could all the details that we've read about and the many, many more that are there be true if God didn't say them? Because no man could know them 700 years before they ever happened. The Bible is God's Word. The Bible is God's Word in God's own Word. And it is inspired verbally inspired, infallible. And our lesson tonight should establish that in your mind. If you're here and you're not a Christian, believe in the Lord that Isaiah wrote about. Believe in him. That is, you believe who he is. And you believe what he said. And we obey him. Won't you come and obey the gospel? While we stand, while we sing, please. <laughs>